creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry then from north to south and east to west we'd hear christ be magnified Now we're royal 
We'll take a moment, turn to a neighbor, and tell them what you're joyful for. God is worthy of our praise, amen. Let's sing this song together. Rumors of the Son of Man, stories of a Savior, holiness with human hands, treasure for the traitor.
did not speak You did not speak, you made no sound You died for your accusers And as your blood fell to the ground You redefined my future Darkness ran for cover For the King of Kings has claimed his throne Now until forever And you are worthy
Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. You are good, you're good. Oh, yes, you are good, you're good. Oh, yes, you are good, you're good. Oh, yes, you are good, you're good. Oh, let the key.
as we remain standing for the reading of God's word. Good morning, church family. You are so treasured by our Heavenly Father and by me. I think you're pretty wonderful, too. Um, this morning, I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. It kind of starts in the middle of a thought, but hang on. I'm sure Adam's going to make it perfectly clear. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, Join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have seen in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, our kids are dismissed. You guys are welcome to go to your classes. Have a great class. Learn lots about the Lord. Thank you, Laura, for reading. Laura said, I'm sure uh, that Adam will make this uh, a little bit clear. Uh, not going to happen because my main text today is verse 20 and 21. And so I'm sort of ripping it straight out of its context. And if you know me, you know that that is not typically my style. Normally I like to put things right where they are, but this, this week is a standalone sermon. I felt like I had the, the ability and the privilege to be able to do that. So our main uh, focus today will be on verses uh, 20 and 21, 
Today I have for us a big idea. Hopefully this helps you to be able to track. I'm not somebody who typically uses notes. So if you're a note taker, you're just going to have to hear what I say and write it down. But here's the big idea for today, that our confidence is rooted in the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to transform the lowly to the glorious. That's what I hope to, to give you today and what I hope that you will leave with. But before we break into the word, let's pause and pray together. Father, we come before you aware that there is so many powers that have influence in our life. There's powers that are of this earth. There are uh, things and times and money and all sorts of things that, that garner our attention, but nothing is more powerful than your son. And it's our prayer, God, that corporately you help us to be able to see how far above all earthly power Jesus is that you would help us to be convinced in our minds and in our hearts and our spirits that there is no one greater and that Jesus alone holds all the power. Uh, we can be rooted in confidence knowing who Jesus is, not just knowing who he is, but knowing who he is for us. It makes all the difference. God, you are for us. Jesus, you are for us. And I pray that you would help us as a congregation to worship as we listen and worship as we sing. And God, that you would make much of yourself in the text. We pray it in your name. Amen. Now, many years ago, uh, speaking of confidence, many years ago, I was on this very stage. I want to say it was like 1998, and it was a Friday night. I was not preaching back then. I was only like 19. But I was on High Life staff, and as often the case on a Friday night, um, we were here in the church. High schoolers would come to the church with a staff member because Fairfield, there's nothing to do here. And so when you want to get people together, the, the thing that you would do is, should we go to the church? Now, I don't know whose idea it was to give a 19-year-old keys, but I had it. And I had keys, and we would come in here, and I don't know if you guys know this, but if you've ever served in any of our youth ministries at all, you will know that these chairs get stacked immediately after this church, and then basically balls are just thrown all over the place for five days straight, and then we kind of put the chairs back in. That's kind of how it works. I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but it was Friday night, and it was me, and there was about 10 to 12 high school boys, and we decided, you know what would be fun? Let's play baseball in the sanctuary. It was a wiffle ball. I'm very responsible. No problem. But I don't know if you guys remember this. Our sound booth used to have a second story. If you were here many years ago, not only did it have a second story, it had like steel windows that you could close down. It was amazing. Nothing ever got broken, but it looked like prison. Uh, either way, what we did is we would have the batter be right here, and the pitcher would be right about here in the middle. We would throw wiffle balls, try to strike people out, and the goal was if you hit it over on that wall, it was like a single or like, you know, we had all this different kind of stuff. But what you really wanted to do was hit it into the second level. It was like our green monster. If you could get it onto that top level, you were really doing something. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if you've ever been like this before, but if you are um, competitive at all, um, something that happens with competitive people is we try to talk about our competitiveness and how we're better than them uh, while we compete in a set activity. Does anybody ever do this, or is it just guys mostly? Uh, I don't think it's exclusive to males. I just, that's my experience. Here's what happens, and this is the exact thing that happened. We all were talking a lot of junk to each other. 
We were talking a lot of mess, like I'm going to hit so many home runs or whatever. But me, my confidence rested in the fact that I used to be a pitcher in the Susun American Little Leagues. Okay, guys? <laughs> this ain't farm league here, okay? This shoulder wound up and it threw heat. And so I was telling all the boys, like, when it's my turn to pitch, you might as well just give up. I'll strike you all out. It will be no problem. Part of it was like just to be fun as a staff member. And part of it was like, I am pretty good. You know, it's both ways. And one of the guys, when it was his turn, his name was Jonathan. He was like, he gave it right back to me. He's like, dude, you can't strike me out. Not only can you not strike me out, I'm going to bat lefty just to show you. And I was like, lefty, come on, this is, come on, you do know who I am, baby? I'm going to strike you out. So I stood right there and I wound up. This is a wiffle ball, mind you. And I gave it everything I had and I threw a pitch with all of my might and it went straight over the plate. But here's the problem. It went very slow. It went like supremely slow. And I was thinking to myself like, how did that arm produce such low velocity? What's going on? And it just went straight over the plate and I saw his eyes get like as big as saucers. And he was like, this thing is gonna get hit. And he hits it with full extension, his hips clear to the target, everything is just like perfect. And out comes this wiffle ball with, I feel like the speed of a shotgun, I don't know. What it really was, there wasn't a radar there, but it definitely came back much faster than the way it came in. But the thing is, he did not hit a home run. He hit the pitch straight back to me, and it hit me dead in my cheek. Right here. Shotgun blasted the face. That's what happened to me. Anybody ever been hit by something uh, plastic in the face? Do you know what sound it makes? It makes a slap, and everyone knows instantly, like, ooh, <laughs> I bet that hurt. And yes, it did hurt, but can I tell you what hurt more in that moment? My pride. Because I don't know about you, but having 10 to 12 high school boys rolling on the ground in laughter is not a fun Friday night. I did not enjoy that so much. Strangely enough, that's where my memories of the night end. I don't remember what happened after that. I'm sure that I was very gracious and wonderful things. But confidence is interesting, isn't it? The right amount of confidence is a really good thing. Overconfidence is, can be a very terrible thing for us. It can put us in a bad situation, and it can lead us to a type of, like, let's call it faux swagger, where we think we have this awesome thing, when in essence, we don't have that at all. But see, here's the cool thing. Although I was overconfident in my ability to launch a wiffle ball, something that we will never be overconfident in, something that we can never put too much confidence in, is the power of Jesus Christ, not only who was risen from the dead, but who one day will rise us from the grave as well. That's the point of this whole passage, and that's my goal today, is I want you to be rooted in confidence, and not in personal self-confidence. I don't want you to think, oh, I'm great, or God loves me so much. I want you to think Jesus is great, and not only is Jesus great, he is increasingly, and you couldn't even count the amount of ways that he is powerful. And here's the interesting part, and the great part is that he is going to exercise that power in our lives at some point. When he comes back and breaks into this world, our bodies will change. That's what the text says. 
And we can have confidence that Jesus alone has the power to do it. There isn't any other kind of power in the world that could ever do anything like that. But Jesus has the power. And that's the promise in this text. And I want to submit to you today, there really is no other way to live life as a Christian. See, because the opposite of being overconfident is not having any confidence at all. And can I just tell you, you ever been around somebody who's like really amazing at something and they don't have enough confidence and you're just like, hey, you're really good at that. And they're like, no, I'm not. Like, whoa, that's really gross that you just said that. You're actually really good at that. And people are like, no. It's, I'm not talking about false modesty here because that's, you know, that's a mess. I'm actually talking about people that are really gifted. And for whatever reason, whether it's a lack of self-confidence or a lack of them being able to do it, no way, shape, or form will they do it. And it's just exhausting. They just don't believe it. You know, that doesn't help us live as a Christian life. We can't have lower confidence in the future resurrection. It won't give us a confidence for today. We won't be confident right now. And so my goal is by rooting you in three statements of confidence in this text, that it will help you to be living confidently now. Not that your situations are gonna go perfect, not that everything you're planning is gonna go perfect, but that in the end, God has the power and will do what he says he will do through Christ, namely, you be, will be with him forever in a glorious body. Praise God, right? So I wanna show you three things today. There are three statements. The three statements are, our confidence is rooted in a savior. Our confidence is rooted in the resurrection. And finally, our confidence is rooted in the awesome power of Jesus Christ. Our confidence is rooted in a savior. Our confidence is rooted in the resurrection. And our confidence is rooted in the awesome power of Jesus Christ. The first statement of the text says, but our citizenship is in heaven, comma, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to pay special attention to the fact that it does not say, but our citizenship is in heaven, period. Far too often, I believe that there is a, um, a belief out there or we have been taught from a, from a young age to, to know and understand that our citizenship or our identity or our final place will be heaven. Okay, and that's, we hear that all the time, and you can actually see in the text, okay, but our citizenship is in heaven. We should rejoice in that, but I want to pause right here and make sure that we see things correctly, because it might be possible for us to read those first five words and believe that the hope in this passage is that we're heaven-bound. The hope in this passage is not that we're heaven-bound, but that currently in heaven, there is a Savior there, namely Jesus Christ. So that is our supreme hope, and that is our supreme confidence. You see, let me say it this way. For followers of Christ, it isn't the complete story that we're heaven-bound. Yes, that is true. But when we read it further, we see that our citizenship is in heaven, but from it we are awaiting someone as Christians, our citizenship is not a place. It is a person. That's the reason why heaven is so great. That's the reason why we long to depart from the body. It's, 
Paul doesn't say, I long to depart from the body to be in heaven. He says, I long to depart to be from the body so that I will be with the Lord. That is the main point. Our faith is rooted, our confidence rests in a living Savior, not a location. Heaven isn't the end goal. Christ Jesus is the end goal. That's what we want. We want to see Jesus. That's why it doesn't have a period after heaven. Our citizenship, basically your identity, is in Christ. Your identity isn't in a location. Your identity is in a person. If you are by faith a follower of Jesus, you can say confidently that you are in Christ. Those who are in Christ will one day be where he is. Currently, before the resurrection, we know that to depart this body means we go to be with the Lord in heaven because that's where he is. But one day, he won't be there anymore. He's going to come here, and he's going to renew the heavens, and he's going to renew the earth, and he's going to make all things new. And do we stay up there? No, we don't stay there because our inheritance, our citizenship is him. He doesn't say, well, we gave you heaven. No, we settle for nothing less than Jesus Christ himself because he is our saving one. We want to be with him. That's where we want to go. And when he comes back, we're going to be with him. That's what it means to be in Christ. And this was a bought, bought right Jesus bought the rights of our citizenship. See, the scripture, and Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians and another place that the beginning of our life all started one uh, specific way. We were not in Christ. We were in Adam. That's the way that all humanity starts out. We all start out in Adam. We all start out in sin. That's the idea. We all are by nature rebellious on the inside. We are all by nature children of wrath. We are all by people who, choose, who would choose and did choose to worship ourselves rather than God. And because of that, there was wrath. We were in Adam, and in Adam sin reigned. And wherever sin reigns, death reigns. But it didn't stay that way, did it? That's what last week was all about. Last week was all about the fact it was Easter Sunday. Jesus died a substitutionary death in our place and rose and he broke the back of death so that death would no longer have the victory. This is a purchased right. So now that those who put their faith in Jesus are no longer said to be in Adam, your very identity, your very citizenship changes from being in Adam to in Christ. And in Christ, there are certain rights that come along with it, and that is he wants you to be where he is. And that should root us in confidence. This is what it says in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision in our flesh, but God made us alive together. We didn't earn it, but God made us alive, and it was by faith that we accepted that. And that whole record of being in Adam, that doesn't apply anymore because those legal demands have been met in the person of Jesus Christ. And now we have the freedom to be in Christ. 
There's no greater two words for a Christian to hear. There shouldn't be any two things that bring more joy and more confidence to know that we are in Christ. We are in the strong one. Adam no longer has mastery over us. Death no longer has mastery over us. We belong to Jesus. We belong to the powerful one. We are in Christ. Do you believe that today? See, Paul, I don't know if you know this, but he uses that term in Christ over a hundred times in his writings. He didn't write a hundred books of the Bible. So you got to think how many times he uses that. Matter of fact, I have a homework assignment for you. When you go home today, open up any letters from Paul and just circle the in Christ statements. You're going to see they're all over the place. And in the, uh, in the goal of the end goal of trying to uh, produce for you today confidence, I've selected just a few here. And I want to read them for you. These are scriptures, and I'm not going to necessarily give you the references, but I'm just going to run through these real fast. And the reason I want to run through these is I want your confidence to, to rest somewhere. I don't want to just say, hey, here's your confidence. I want to actually give you scriptures for that. These are all statements of in Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You have redemption in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ." By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you get the picture? Hopefully this is stimulating some faith. Hopefully just hearing these words of in Christ and knowing that they are identity markers for you is something that roots you in confidence. And can, can we just... Get one thing out of the way. Could you, can we just get an amen for that? Amen. Yeah, just so you know, anytime I preach, you are welcome to talk back at me. I will take it all day long. There is so much to praise Jesus for. We could spend hours and hours talking about Jesus. But here is an issue that we find. Our worship often is stunted because our affections grow dim we lose sight of what is most important, and we are weak. Because here's the issue. Although we are in Christ spiritually, right now, you and I all have one thing in common if we are followers of Jesus. 
We are inwardly being renewed day by day, but outwardly our body is breaking down and we are wasting away. We wear the sin suit. And when you wear the sin suit, although your spirit wants to praise Jesus with every faculty and every emotion and you have every desire to praise Jesus, your body says, I'm not good at doing that. Don't we know this to be true? Anybody ever try to like, let's say, eat good for 30 days? Your spirit says eating good for me is awesome. And for five days, your body's like, we'll let that happen. And then on the sixth day, you smell something and your body says, diet's over. <laughs> or any kind of discipline, right? You go to the gym every morning and you're like, after the third day in the gym, you're like, the gym is fantastic. I'll never stop going to the gym. And then one day, the gym comes a little bit too early or you stayed up a little bit too late and your body says, we don't go to the gym anymore. See, this is what's interesting. Our body is too weak to do even our will, let alone the will of God. That's the problem with the sin suit. We as Christians, we want our lives to follow Jesus with everything we got. I want to follow him with all of my intensity. I want to follow him with everything that's inside me. But the problem is this sin suit says I'm not adequately prepared for that. We have to have a body that is uniquely created to bring Christ the most glory, and we just can't do it with what we've got. The curse of sin rewired things such that our body is a body of decay, and our body is a body of sin. Now, I know I made some jokes about diet, and I made some jokes about the gym, but how many of us have for years tried to kick an addiction that we just haven't had the opportunity to fully kick yet? Or how many of us find ourselves going to that same well of sin that we promised ourselves, I just won't ever do that again. And willpower alone will never keep you from it. Your body is predisposed to want things that your spirit doesn't want anymore. Do you know that you're at war with yourself? You wear a sin suit. You got it on. We all got it on. Which is why when we see someone fail, we shouldn't be like, oh boy, that person didn't get it right. You're going to fail too. Isn't that the whole point? We all got this thing on. Our body is weak. We need it to be renewed. I had something written here. I'm going to leave it. But let's just know this. I'm 42. Let's put it this way. Back in the day, if you asked me to jump off this stage, I probably would have jumped off the stage and barrel rolled after. That's a lie. But I would have jumped off the stage. I would have made it. Now, if you ask me, Adam, could you jump off the stage right now? I would say, probably my two shins would be broken. Right? And everyone in here who is older than 40 understands that. You just know. Like, just falling down your stairs could kill you. That's just true. That never used to be the case. Like, my kids fall down the stairs right now, and they're like, I'm good. I know you're good. We know they're good. You get to be 40 and you're like, oh, why'd I buy a two-story house? <laughs> That's right. That's right. If you're over 40, let me hear an amen. amen. You know we're too weak. But it's not just weak physically. It's that we don't have the capacity to worship Christ as we should. And oh, doesn't Christ deserve it all? 
You ever found yourself wanting to praise God, wanting to do something great for God, only to find your flesh get in the way 15 minutes later? Man, I don't want that anymore. You don't want that anymore either, do you? And it causes you to want something. You know what it causes you to want? The new glorious body. Oh, man, I'm looking forward to that day. Woo! That moves us to the second point. Our confidence is rooted in the resurrection. And here's the statement. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body? I want you to think for a second real quickly. Right now, your experience, no matter how beautiful your body is on the outside, God describes it as lowly. God says, your body, yeah, you can bench press 350, it's lowly. Your body that can run a four-minute mile, lowly. In the Greek, this more accurately reads, the body of your humiliation. Doesn't that add a little, doesn't that just hit the nail on the head? Because brothers and sisters, it's not just that we're weak and that we so want to praise Christ, but we don't have the faculties to do it. It's that we often prefer and in fact worship a body of humiliation. That we see Jesus as the lifted glorious one and we say, mm, no, I'm the king of my life. No, my body is my God. And there are people here who are Christians, people here who are, say they are in Christ and they live more for the pleasures and the purpose of their body than they do the pleasure and purpose for Christ. That's humiliating. Listen, this isn't me saying this. You can't come try to fight me later because I called your body humiliating. That's not me. That comes from the scriptures. And this isn't about anyone's outward appearance, and this isn't about any sort of anything like that. So if you're saying, Adam says that my body wasn't nice, that's not what I mean. I mean that fundamentally our bodies are defunct. But here's the crazy thing about humans is that somehow we worship them. We take the lowly things and we say, let's make that our God. Man, I know what happens in my life. The flesh becomes dominant. I forget all about how great Jesus has been to me. I forget all the benefits of being in Christ. I curse others when I ought to bless them. I slumber when I ought to be vigilant. I pursue by any means necessary the pleasures of the world and gratify the desires of the flesh rather than believe and trust that as David says in Psalm 16, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And if I'm being honest and if we're being honest, we've all been there. We all have our moments of putting our efforts, our achieving and our praise, worshiping what is lonely. Think about that. I want you to meditate on that for a second and just think, how ridiculous is that? And yet we all do it. We're just not equipped in this lowly body to bring Jesus the maximum amount of worship. The wiring in us is faulty. And so here's, it's, this is a, a double-fold problem because not only sometimes do we 
prefer it by sin. Not only sometimes do we understand the lowly condition of our lives and, and prefer it. Here's the other thing. Even when things all are going well, and let's say by some incredible, uh, um, well, let's just put it this way. Let's just say you're not struggling with sin in your life right now. Uh, raise your hands if that's true. Joke, joke, don't do that. <laughs> Even if everything is going as great as it can for you in your battle against sin, there is something that is true of us, and that is the word that describes our life more now here on earth is groaning rather than celebration. See, even if you aren't personally struggling with sin, guess what's still in the world? Suffering. Sin is still in the world. Did we not just read of a shooting in our city two days ago? Yeah, we still get sick? Yep. Cancer still reign? Yep. Will we all die? Yep. Are there great abuses happening right now at the hands of powerful people? And they're taking it out on the weak? Yes. And it's not meant to bum you out. I'm not any, in any way, shape, or form being like, man, that Parkway guy, he really, I called myself Parkway. That Adam guy. <laughs> that was pretty good. He's really bumming us out. I want to bum you out for a reason. I want to, I want to bum you out because I want you to long for something else. This is what it says in Romans 8, 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly. And this isn't a groaning of frustration of like, oh, the world's so terrible. No, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption the redemption of our bodies. As Christians, we don't just look at the mess around us and be like, oh, the world is so terrible. We say, yeah, the world might be in this condition, but it ain't gonna stay that way because Jesus is gonna come, and when he comes, this body, this weak vessel, this thing that doesn't have enough juice in the tank to do the will of God, that's gonna change. The will of God will come to this body naturally. The will of God will just be something that's just like, I like doing it. And not only do I like to do it, we're going to be able to do it. Amen. Man, can you imagine being able to do the will of God with all your efforts and strength and every fiber and every muscle? I can't wait for that. Every bit of creative energy you have, every bit of physical strength you have, all of it united together to do the will of God, which is to say, oh, how good and powerful and great is Jesus. Man, but right now it's groaning. See, if you, one of you were to come to my house and, and tell me that my body is lonely, we might, have, we might go to fisticuffs. But when God tells us that our body is lowly, we can trust it because it's the truth. Do you know how we know it's the truth? Because he didn't make our bodies that way. That's not how it started out. In the beginning, our bodies were made within a unique capacity to dwell with the Lord, to do his will, to reside with him, and to be a blessing to the whole planet. But that changed. And so God, by telling you the truth, isn't being like, man, you guys are terrible. Quite the opposite. He says, oh, do you know how great the body was supposed to be? 
Do you know what your body was supposed to be put in the service of? And because we don't know it, he plans to do it anyways. That's what it is in the text. Our lowly bodies will become glorious bodies. See, our bodies don't just get thrown into the trash heap. Our bodies have a purpose now, and they're going to have a purpose then. And can I tell you, I'm really looking forward to the purpose then. And I want to just finish with this. The third one, our confidence is rooted in the awesome power of Jesus Christ. So we've had confidence in a Savior. We've had confidence in the resurrection. And now we have confidence in the awesome power of Jesus. Because what Paul says as a confident statement that is, get, that is supposed to help us to understand that the resurrection will in fact happen, is to say this statement, by the power that enables him to subject even all things to himself. The power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You know, Paul could have said, by the power that enables Jesus to rise or to raise people from the dead. But he does not say that because do you know what Paul wants to do? He wants to show that the resurrection is just part of the all things. It's just part of the all things being in subjection to Jesus Christ. This is, this is the goal. This is the picture of Jesus. All things, all things, every power, every authority, every ruler, everything in this world, everything above, all things visible, all things invisible, all of it subjected to Jesus Christ because he alone is the powerful one. I want you to think just for a second, how much power will it take to raise all the saints at once? We can't even with all of our human power, that be technology, that be whatever human intellect we have, we couldn't combine it together to raise just one person. But God, in a single moment, through Jesus, just needs to say, live, and millions of bodies are going to pop out of the grave and be like, we're here. <laughs> Isn't that what it says? It says, in the twinkling of an eye. In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, in the amount of time it takes me to move this way and for you on this side to see a glimmer of my eye, boom, resurrection. That's power. And nobody wields that power except Jesus Christ. There isn't a single authority, there isn't a single thing here that could prevent it from happening. Oh, death could take all of its ministers. Every evil spirit, every enemy of the cross of Christ can combine, raise together and bring all their combined efforts to try to prevent it. But guess what will happen? The resurrection's still gonna happen because Jesus is above all things, every power. Think about the power in your life right now. Think about every power in this world that you've ever seen. None of it will compare. We're told in Colossians that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all, of, over all creation. For by him, all things were created. All things were created and in him, all things are gonna be recreated. Jesus himself says in Matthew 28 that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. He's got it all. 
Peter writes this, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. There isn't any power that's going to prevent the resurrection. Do you know why? Jesus is powerful and he wants it to happen. And what the powerful one wants to happen is going to happen. Because who can get in the way of the Lord? What power is more powerful than Jesus? There isn't any. Which makes a statement like this astounding to me. And I hope that you hear this. It's what it says in Luke 21, 16 through 18. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And now listen to this. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. Did you hear that? He just said, some of you are going to be put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. How does that work? You're going to die, but the hair isn't going to perish. You know what that means? Jesus knows you. If you are in Christ, he knows where you are. And if you die in a field, he knows where you are. And guess what? On the day when he says live, you're going to rise up right where you are. And the martyrs of old that were burned on the stakes and their bones lifted up in the dust and the winds and were scattered over oceans and all over the place, guess what? Do we think somehow that the power of fire and flame and wind is going to be beyond Christ's power to bring it back together? No way. Every particle is going to float from all across the ozone layer, and guess what's going to happen? Reformation, it's going to happen just like that. That's how powerful Jesus is. Does it not say in the Scriptures that he knows every hair on our head? Well, then you can be confident that if he knows every hair on your head, that he created you, and that if you are in Christ and you are his, you will be with him. The resurrection will happen. And do you know how we know? Do you know how we can be convinced? Do you know how you can know right now today that this is true? Because this is not some future power of Jesus that he is going to somehow get. He has it now. And at some point, every person in this room who was not a follower of Jesus, that became one. We came face-to-face in contact with that power, did we not? Every single person in here, there isn't a single person who's a believer in Christ that can say, I made that decision. I'm the one who saved me. Jesus saved you. Which means Jesus alone made what was dead alive. Jesus holds that power now. It's not a future power. There's resurrection power right now. And that's power that each and every single one of us who are Christians have experienced. And can I just end with this? And it's a little bit of a confession. I don't know if you guys know this, but I preach for myself. I love you all. I do. But I preach what I need to hear. And can I just be honest, lately... I've been praying for people in my life and they haven't changed. And they haven't changed ever. I've been praying for people in my life for 20 years that they would bend the knee to Jesus and to this day, they haven't. And I can find myself believing in those moments that there's, maybe they're too far gone. 
what? I ought to put in my resignation right now. But don't we get that way sometimes? Don't we find ourselves believing that? No, but Jesus has the power right now. And so we humbly pray and ask Christ to make our family members and people in our city and people who have hurt us in all sorts of manner. What do we pray for? We pray that Jesus would unleash his power right now and make them alive. What a confidence that we can have. And it's with that confidence that we can approach the table today. If I can have those who are serving come forward. I'd like us to do something today as a conclusion as we come, as we come to this. I want us to think that in the symbols of the broken body and of the blood of the new covenant, we have an incredible potential for us to embrace that which what we thought was weak, but it was actually God's strong arm saving us. And so as you take the elements back to your seats, would you just pause for a moment on the power and the greatness of Jesus? And as we take of the elements together, you can do it on your own, but as you do that, would you just remind yourselves, you serve a living and powerful Jesus right now who will do what he says he will do. He's gonna come back and get you. And he has the power to make things new right now. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that you give us the ability to have a confidence. Not a confidence in the flesh, not a confidence in who we are, but a confidence in our risen King, Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would help us as we move from this uh, sanctuary today to remember that truth, that bedrock truth that the roots of our life can go down into, that you are strong, that you are powerful, that you have victory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can come.
could stand and sing one last time. And on that day, we join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith with one voice, a thousand Good morning, Parkway. You go ahead and uh, stay standing. Just have three reminders for you and then one new announcement. That new announcement is uh, for the ladies. The Summer Table Talk is coming back. So you can find out more about what that is uh, in the lobby. Find Liza. She will be out there uh, ready to sign you up for that. The three reminders are, uh, first of all, there is a youth fundraiser auction that is going to start next week. So if you have uh, something to donate, like an experience or uh, something even that you want to sell, you can go ahead and sign up for that in the lobby as well. Uh, also next week, there will be uh, baptisms. If you want to get baptized and you're like, hey, that's, that's coming up. I need to talk to Adam about that. Go talk to Adam. Go sign up for that in the lobby as well. And lastly, um, May 8th, I believe, is going to start, um, ooh, I'm forgetting it. What is it? No, oh, channel dedications. We already did that. I already did mine, so we're good. That's why I forgot it. But if you have a baby that needs to get dedicated, go talk to Val in the lobby, and uh, we can sign up for that. I believe there are some babies that are ready to get dedicated. So uh, talk to Val, and we can get you signed up for baby dedications on Mother's Day. Don't forget that's Mother's Day as well. Other than that, let's read the benediction together, and I believe it is out of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, which says, 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Parkway, go in peace. We will see you next week. Yeah.